0: Uh, You can take your Bibles, turn along with me to Colossians chapter 2. Yeah, or you can move, that's fine too, that's good. (laughs) Whatever works. Colossians chapter 2. At the end of that climactic scene in Lord of the Rings, the return of the king, Frodo is hanging from a cliff over the fiery lava inside Mount Doom. And Sam, Frodo's faithful friend, is calling to Frodo from above. He tells Frodo not to let go and to reach up and take hold of Sam's hand. Sam grabs hold of Frodo's hand, tells him not to let go, and saves Frodo's life by pulling him up from certain destruction. In that scene, Sam served as Frodo's lifeline. Sam was Frodo's only hope for deliverance. Paul's letter to the Colossians presents Jesus Christ as our only hope. Lifeline, As our only hope for deliverance from destruction and eternal life. Jesus is our only lifeline because of who he is and because of what he has accomplished. Jesus, of course, as Paul has made clear in this letter, is the image of the invisible God. And he is the first to rise from the dead, never to die again. As the only Savior of mankind, Jesus is our lifeline. And if we're to have eternal life, we must hold fast of Him by faith. But the temptation is great to look elsewhere other than to Jesus for a lifeline. To look to our performance, to our acts of righteousness to our spiritual experiences, to look to those things other than to Christ as our lifeline. But the reality is these lifelines are far too thin to hold the great weight of our sin. We must hold on by faith to something far greater, far stronger than our own achievements. We must hold on to Christ who is more than strong enough to save us. We must hold fast to Christ. That is the message of our text this morning. And so I want to read for us from Colossians chapter 2, beginning in verse 13, just to set the context a bit, but we'll focus this morning on verses 16 through 23. But let's go back and read Colossians chapter 2, beginning in verse 13, through the end of the chapter. Paul writes, he says, when you were dead in your transgressions and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he made you alive together with him, having forgiven us all our transgressions, having counseled out the certificate of debt consisting of decrees against us, which was hostile to us, and he has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. When he had disarmed the rulers and the authorities, he made a public display of them, having triumphed over them through him. Therefore, no one is to act as your judge in regard to food or drink or in respect to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath day, things which are a mere shadow of what is to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. Let no one keep defrauding you of your prize by delighting in self abasement and the worship of the angels, taking his stand on visions. He is seen inflated without cause by his fleshly mind and not holding fast to the head from whom the entire body being supplied and held together by the joints and ligaments grows with a growth which is from God. If you have died with Christ... To the elementary principles of the world, why, as if you were living in the world, do you submit yourself to decrees such as, do not handle, do not taste, do not touch, which all refer to things destined to perish with use in accordance with the commandments and teachings of men? These are matters which have, to be sure, the appearance of wisdom in self-made religion and self-abasement and severe treatment of the body, but are of no value against fleshly indulgence. Hear the word of the Lord. Let's pray together. Lord God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for its truth. We thank you for its guidance. We thank you for the conviction to us that it brings. The reminders that it brings to us continually to look to Christ. To hold fast by faith to Christ. Help us this morning to be encouraged in our faith. To be challenged not to look to ourselves, to our performance, our achievements, our experiences. But to look to Christ who has completed everything necessary on our behalf. And to simply trust in Him. To rest in Him. To hold fast to Him. Grant this, Lord, according to your mercy. In Jesus' name, amen. Here in verse 16, which is the beginning of the passage we're going to look at this morning. Here in verse 16, Paul says, Therefore, therefore, based upon the glorious realities that have become ours at the cross of Christ, which he has just outlined for us in verses 13, 14, and 15, Paul urges us not to be taken in by these false teachers and their false claims, their false teachings, and their false understandings of Scripture that are not according to Christ. This whole chapter, really, chapter 2, is an application of the glorious truth Paul has shared with them in chapter 1, particularly verses 15 through 20. You remember that important passage back in chapter 1, verses 15 through 20, that hymn, that ancient hymn that was well-known that Paul picks up and uses and quotes from for his own purposes, that hymn that speaks of the glories of the identity of Jesus Christ. Let me just read it for you. Go back with me to chapter 1, verse 15. It says that, Jesus is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation, for by him all things were created, both in the heavens and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He's also head of the body, the church, and he's the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, so that he himself will come to have the first place in everything. For it was the Father's good pleasure for all the fullness to dwell in Him and through Him to reconcile all things to Himself, having made peace through the blood of His cross. Through Him, I say, whether things on earth or things in heaven. So that's that central hymn, that quintessential declaration of the sufficiency and preeminence of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And now, chapter 2 has taken that and extended the implications of that toward all of life. The same Christ of chapter 1 and verses 15 through 20 is their spiritual lifeline, their only hope of salvation. Look with me at chapter 1 verses 21 through 22. He says, although you were formerly alienated and hostile in mind, engaged in evil deeds, yet he... The Christ of verses 15 through 20 has now reconciled you in His fleshly body through death in order to present you before Him holy, blameless, and beyond reproach. Christ is our lifeline. Christ, the image of the invisible God, He is our lifeline. He's the one who's made us holy, blameless, and beyond reproach. He is the one who's reconciled us. But in order for this salvation to to really be theirs, they must... As they began, so continue to hold fast to Christ by faith. Look with me at verse 23. If indeed you continue in the faith, firmly established and steadfast, and not moved away from the hope of the gospel that you have heard. As you began your walk with Christ by faith, so continue your walk in Christ by faith continuing on in the faith, holding firmly to Christ by faith. This is the message of salvation, the gospel, that Paul was committed to proclaiming the only hope of mankind. And that's what he says in verse 28 of chapter 1. We proclaim Christ, because Christ is our only lifeline. We proclaim Him, admonishing every man, teaching every man with all wisdom, so that we may present every man complete in Christ. Paul was concerned for the Colossians, lest they be lured away by certain false teachings that were beginning to gain prominence within the faith community there in Colossae. He was concerned that they'd be lured away by these false teachings and and thereby lose their assurance of salvation. Look at chapter 2, verses 1 through 3. Colossians 2, 1 through 3. For I want you to know how great a struggle I have on your behalf. I'm concerned, he says. And for those who are at Laodicea, not only Colossae, but this was spreading in other churches near Colossae. And for all those who have not personally seen my face, that their hearts may be encouraged, having been knit together in love and attaining to all the wealth that comes from the full assurance of understanding, resulting in a true knowledge of God's mystery, that is Christ himself, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge." These false teachers were saying, hey, listen, we have the real knowledge. We have the secret knowledge. We have the special knowledge. And Paul simply says, no, 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 don't be distracted by what they're saying. All true spiritual knowledge resides in Christ himself. Don't be distracted Keep holding fast to Christ, look at Colossians two four I say this so that no one will delude you with persuasive argument. don't buy into it, don't listen to them, don't be deluded and deceived. Colossians two six Therefore, as you have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, as you believe by faith, so continue by faith. Colossians 2.8. See to it that no one takes you captive. Leads you away into spiritual captivity through philosophy and empty deception. According to the tradition of men. According to the elementary principles of the world. Rather than according to Christ. Keep focused on Christ. Hold fast to Christ. By faith. Jesus Christ is our only hope. Of salvation and He is sufficient to meet all of our needs. Colossians 2:10. In Him, in Christ, you have been made complete. You don't need anything else, you don't need the secret sauce that they're offering. You're good. You've been made complete in Christ already by faith in Him. And as we saw last week, in Chapter 2, verses 13 through 15, through the cross, the spiritually dead have been made to live. Through the cross, our spiritual debt has been canceled and taken out of the way. And through the cross, all of our spiritual enemies have been defeated and have been triumphed over. All of it through Christ and through faith in Christ. And so in our text this morning, Paul's going to warn them of a series of spiritual dangers that lurk before them. And he's going to share with them just how it is that they can avoid these spiritual dangers, avoid these spiritual pitfalls. Paul was confident that they were genuine believers, by and large. That those reading this letter that would eventually get to them would listen and they would heed his warnings. Look what he says in Colossians 2.5, just to remind you. He says in Colossians 2.5, For even though I am absent in body, nevertheless I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good discipline and the stability of your faith in Christ. Even at this early stage of these false teachings, I see and hear that you are continuing to hold fast in Christ. Keep going. Keep holding. Hold firmly to the Lord Jesus Christ and to Him alone. So, holding fast to Christ by faith will keep us from four spiritual dangers, all right? And that's what we're going to look at this morning. Holding fast to Christ, continuing to hold firmly to Christ by faith, will keep us from four spiritual dangers. Alright, the first of this, these dangers is this. Holding fast to Christ by faith will keep us from exchanging our true spiritual substance for mere spiritual shadows. It'll keep us from exchanging that which is of utmost value for that which is of far lesser value. In verse 16, Paul says, Therefore, based on the sufficiency of Christ's sacrifice on the cross, which has brought us from spiritual death to spiritual life, which has canceled and removed our spiritual debt, and has caused our spiritual enemies to be defeated and triumphed over, therefore, based on that, the truth of that therefore no one is to act as your judge now first of all we should clarify what paul is not saying here when he says no one is should should act as your judge this verse is not saying that as christians we are above legitimate criticism or confrontation from other christians that's not the case at all people love to quote jesus saying do not judge But what Jesus actually said was this, do not judge according to appearance, but judge with a righteous judgment. And in fact, Jesus says you you must judge, but you must judge rightly. You must judge righteously. Likewise, this verse is not telling us to place ourselves above all scrutiny and examination by others. Confrontation within the body, loving Confrontation within the body is an important part of spiritual life in the body of Christ and it's a vital part of our purity both for our own lives and for the purity of the church as the process of biblical confrontation and restoration in Matthew chapter 18 makes clear. So Paul is not saying, hey, get defensive and don't let anybody ever judge you. What Paul is calling them to avoid here is legalistic judgments that are not in accordance with Christ. They're not according to Christ. These judgments that were being made upon these Christians were not according to the gospel. They were not taking into account all that Christ had accomplished on the cross. He was calling them not to let themselves be judged by a judgment that ran contrary to the gospel of Jesus Christ. No one is to act as your judge in regard to food or drink or in respect to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath day. These false teachers in Colossae who were teaching a false gospel and they were trying to lure away followers unto themselves, they were teaching a hybrid false religion. That was a combination of the beliefs and practices of Judaism, Hellenistic Judaism, and also incorporated beliefs and practices of Greek paganism, Greco-Roman paganism. So they had this mishmash in their minds. They took a little bit of scripture, and they took a little bit of man's teachings, and they took a little bit of philosophy, and they took a little bit of this and a little bit of that, and put it together in this false... Belief system that they're trying to lure the Colossian believers away toward. In the case of food restrictions and these special days, these holy days, so called, this false teaching followed closely the dietary laws and calendar laws of the Levitical system of the Old Testament, the Old Covenant, the Mosaic Covenant. Many of these dietary restrictions and calendar requirements were indeed an important part of the Mosaic Law. But what these false teachers were doing was failing to take into account the spiritual seismic shift that had occurred with the cross of Jesus Christ. The cross work which Paul has just outlined for them in verses 13 through 15. Therefore, don't let anyone judge you according to these dietary laws and these calendar laws. They're failing to take into account the reality that Jesus Christ, the image of the invisible God, the firstborn from the dead, has come and victoriously conquered his enemies and changed things once and for all. All of these dietary and calendar observances of the Old Covenant were merely pointing the way to a greater reality than themselves. They were but shadows, and Christ is the substance. This is very similar to what we see the author of Hebrews arguing in his letter. It's a great and strong parallel there. How foolish it would be for these Colossian believers To leave the substance, which is Christ, in order to chase after shadows. You ever tried to chase your shadow? Peter Pan tried. Kids, this is your assignment today go home and try to catch your own shadow. Or your mom or your dad's shadow, or your brother or your sister's shadow. Try to catch your mom or your dad, your brother or your sister by catching their shadow. See if you can hold on to their shadow and keep them from moving freely. Doesn't work that way, does it? It won't work. The shadow is not the person that we love and adore. The shadow simply testifies to the reality of the person we love and adore. The shadow simply testifies to the reality that is greater than itself. The shadow merely testifies to someone who is far greater than the shadows themselves. The key to avoiding this spiritual danger, as to avoiding all spiritual dangers, is simply to hold. Fast to Christ by faith. Build your faith according to Christ Himself. Our faith is not in the shadows, our faith is not in the symbols, our faith is not in baptism, our faith is not in communion, the Lord's table. Our faith is the one to whom these shadows point to. The Lord Jesus Himself. Build your faith not on shadows, but on the substance which is Christ. Hold fast to the substance. Hold fast to the truth of the gospel. Hold fast to the truth of who Christ is presented to us in chapter 1, verses 15 through 20. Hold fast to what that Christ has accomplished for us on His cross as presented to us in chapter 2, verses 13 through 15. These dietary restrictions and calendar requirements are not what has saved us. No work we have done has saved us. Only faith in Christ saves us. Only faith in Christ keeps us. And only faith in Christ grows us in Him. So don't let anyone judge you or take you spiritually captive because you don't follow their rules, their man-made rules, which are according to the traditions of men and not according to Christ, as he says in chapter 2 and verse 8. Build your faith according to Christ, who is the substance and not mere shadows. Focus on what Christ has done and who Christ is. That's your hope. Not in adherence to. Conformity with mere shadows. All right, the second danger we're to avoid by clinging to Christ. Holding fast to Christ by faith will keep us from feeling spiritually inferior to others. It'll keep us from feeling spiritually inferior to others. Verse 18 of chapter 2. Let no one keep defrauding you of your prize by delighting in self abasement in the worship of angels. Let no one keep defrauding you of your prize. The idea here is again of judgments being made by others. That they're being looked down upon because they're not following these, these special observances and these holy days and these special dietary restrictions. Again, don't let anyone defraud you. These false teachers were acting like spiritual umpires calling balls and strikes. They were coming close to robbing these Christians of their prize, which... Prize, which was the assurance of their salvation through faith in Jesus Christ, that they were complete in Christ. These false teachers were delighting in their so called spiritual disciplines, patting themselves on the back for their self abasement and their worship of angels. They gloried in their ability to treat their body harshly, to deny themselves many things. Through a strict form of asceticism. And they judged others who didn't follow their pattern. Likewise, they worshipped angels. You may recall that this Colossian heresy involved this worshipping of angels. This idea that angels were uh, on a par with Jesus Christ himself. They believed angels had great sway over the affairs of the world and over the events of their own lives. And so they worshipped these angelic beings. They may have said they venerated these angelic beings. Whatever they said, it was idolatry. Angels are indeed great beings, more powerful than we are, to be sure, but they are not to be worshipped. In the scriptures, we see several examples of men who have encountered angels and they were understandably compelled by the greatness of what they saw to fall down and worship them, but the holy angels consistently reject all such worship. Revelation chapter 22, the very end of the Bible, we read this about the apostle John. Revelation 22, verse 8, I, John, am the one who heard and saw these things... Written in this book. And when I heard and saw, I fell down to worship at the feet of the angel who showed me these things. But he said to me, do not do that. I am a fellow servant of yours and of your brethren, the prophets, and of those who heed the words of this book. Worship God. Worship God. That is the universal call of the angels. Worship God. Holy, Holy, holy is what they say day and night around the throne room of God. Worship God, not the angels. Christ, as we have seen in Colossians, is greater than the angels. And again, that's the same message that you'll see in the book of Hebrews. He's greater than the angels because He's the creator of all of them. The good ones and the bad ones. The elect ones and the evil ones. He's the creator of all of them, and therefore he has all authority over them as the head over all. And so Christ is to be worshipped, not the angels whom he created. Their focus was wrong, these false teachers. Their focus was on angelic beings when their focus should have been on the creator of the angelic beings. To worship angels or anything other than God alone may seem spiritual, but it is in fact idolatry and God hates idolatry he will not share his glory with another Paul wants to make certain that none of these Christians were being robbed of the prize of the assurance of their salvation an assurance which was theirs by faith in Jesus Christ alone in who he is and in his finished work on the cross This assurance is by faith alone, and not through the strictness of acts of self-denial or by false forms of religious spirituality. You see, through faith in Christ, there are no second-class Christians. No Christian is better than another Christian. No Christian has a higher level or greater access to God than another Christian. Christian, do you believe that? That's what the gospel has afforded for us. The debt of our sin, the mountain of our sin, has been blotted out, erased, taken away, nailed to the cross, and taken out of the way. So never to be seen again. So that there is now, therefore now, no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. We can come boldly before the throne of grace. And that's true for each and every Christian. There are no second-class Christians. And so the idea that there are you know, upper-crust Christians and there are lower-class Christians is just false. And it's false teaching. And it's manipulation. And Paul says here very clearly, listen, I don't want anyone robbing you of your prize. And the prize is assurance that we are accepted by God through faith in Jesus Christ. Fully accepted. We are complete in Him. Holy and blameless and beyond reproach before Him. That's our status. Colossians 1.22 He has now reconciled you in His fleshly body through death in order to present you before Him holy and blameless and beyond reproach. That's not some future by and by declaration. That is ours now, by faith in Jesus alone. And that is every Christian's status. Colossians 2.2 Paul says, "I, I want your hearts to be encouraged, having been knit together in love and attaining to all the wealth That comes from the full assurance of understanding resulting in a true knowledge of God's mystery, that is Christ Himself. I don't want anyone to rob you of the wealth that is yours of knowing with assurance that you are right with God through faith in Jesus Christ. It is well with my soul, and don't let anyone take that from you. Don't let anyone rob you of your prize. By calling into question your spiritual condition because you don't follow their man-made rules or their man-made religion. Keep hold of your prize by keeping hold of Christ himself. There's a third danger there to avoid by holding fast to Christ. Holding fast to Christ by faith, thirdly, will keep us from... Falling into spiritual conceit. So you see there's two sides of this, right? On the one side, we can feel spiritually inferior to others. And the gospel destroys that. But on the other side is the idea that we're spiritually superior to others. That's a spiritual danger. And the gospel destroys that as well, as we'll see. Holding fast to Christ by faith will keep us from falling into spiritual conceit. This comes at the end of verse 18 as well as verse 19. These false teachers who were delighting in their strict acts of self-abasement and in of worshiping angels were taking their stand, Paul says, on visions they had supposedly seen, spiritual visions. The idea here is that they would go on and on about their spiritual visions, their spiritual experiences, their lofty experiences, the special messages and the unique insights that they now had as a result of these incredible spiritual experiences. Which of course made everyone else feel like dirt. Like they didn't have the inside scoop like they weren't the privileged few who'd had these experiences. Now here again is where we see these false teachers where apparently incorporating some Greek pagan ideas into their man-made religion. In the mystery religions of the Greco-Roman world, it often included the idea of seeking answers through an oracle. Oracle. And so there was, of course, the famous oracle at Delphi. And there were all sorts of religious requirements and rules that were put on the one seeking the answers. In this case, it seems that these false teachers were claiming to have had heavenly visions in which they entered into a heavenly temple. And they saw heavenly angels and they heard heavenly messages and they witnessed heavenly things. And of course, they would go on and on and on about all this, because they thought it made them special. They thought it made them better than others, and it thus engendered a two-tier fellowship among the Christians. There were those that were greater than everyone else because of their spiritual visions and their great, incredible spiritual experiences, and everyone else who came in a very distant second. Paul says these false teachers, with their false visions, were inflated. They were conceited. They were big-headed, without cause, by their fleshly mind. They had big heads, but their big heads were filled with sinful, prideful, fleshly minds. They were conceited because they thought it was their spiritual experiences that made them special, that made them count, that made them great. And they failed to realize that the only thing that makes us special, that makes us count, that makes us great, is Jesus Christ and faith alone in Him. Notice Paul says in verse 19 that they had failed to hold fast to the head. This was their problem. This is it. Here it is, folks. This is where they went wrong. And this is where we always go wrong when we go wrong. We fail to hold fast to him who is the head, the Lord Jesus himself. We fail to focus our attention on him. We fail to remember who he is and what he's done. And that causes us to go wrong. They fail to hold on to him who is the head. And it is as we hold to Jesus Christ by faith that we grow spiritually. It is as we hold fast to Jesus Christ by faith, both as individuals and as a local body of Christ, that we grow in spiritual strength, maturity, and effectiveness. Look what Paul says there. These false teachers, verse 19, they have not held fast to the head, which is Christ from whom the entire body being supplied and held together by the joints and the ligaments grows with a growth which is from God. Whatever they were doing, it was fake. Whatever they, growth they appeared to have, it wasn't a true growth. It was a false growth. It wasn't a growth that came from God. Because they had detached themselves from the head. They weren't holding fast to Christ. They were holding fast to their spiritual experiences and their spiritual preeminence. Holding fast to their pride. We must remember that it is only through Jesus Christ that we have gone from being spiritually dead to being made spiritually alive. Only through Jesus Christ has our infinite debt of sin been paid. And not only paid, but completely taken out of the way. And it is only by holding fast to Christ that keeps us from getting spiritually big headed. The gospel subverts our pride, does it not? Because the gospel says, you can't do any of it, you're incapable, you're guilty. The only thing you can do is add to your guilt. The only thing you can do is make your situation worse, is dig the hole deeper for yourself. That's all you can do. But while you were helpless, Christ saw your need. And he provided for you what you could never provide for yourself. Complete forgiveness, eternal life. The gospel humbles us. We have to leave behind all of our experiences, all of our the things that we think made us acceptable to God before. We have to repent of all that, leave it all behind and say, nothing in my hands I bring, simply to the cross I cling. The gospel is the antidote to pride. And it's the way to avoid the pitfall of thinking more highly of ourselves than we ought. Fourthly and finally, holding fast to Christ by faith will keep us from relying on man-made spirituality. It'll keep us from relying on man-made spirituality. Verses 20 through 23. Paul asks a question in verses 20 and 21. Look what he says. If you have died with Christ to the elementary principles of the world, why, as if you were living in the world, do you submit yourself to decrees such as do not handle, do not taste, do not touch? Why are you focused on that? This question comes in the form of a first-class conditional question, which assumes the condition to be true. If you have died with Christ to the elementary principles of the world, and I'm certain that you have. That's the essence of what Paul is saying. He is certain that they have died to the elementary principles of the world. Those who have placed their faith and trust in Jesus Christ for salvation have been spiritually united with Christ. This spiritual union with Christ includes His death and resurrection. So believers have died with Christ and part of what it means to have died with Christ is to have died to the elementary principles of this world now what does that mean it means the world's way of living the world's way of believing the world's way of thinking the world's way of hoping the elementary principles of the world means living according to the world's fallen thinking beliefs and actions In the Greco-Roman world, the the phrase elementary principles of the world was a well-known and documented summary of the four elements that made up the world. Air, earth, fire, and water. And Paul is saying that if we have died with Christ, and we have, then we have died to the old order of this fallen creation of air, earth, fire, and water, fallen creation which is destined for destruction and to be made new, we are now a part of a new order, the new creation in Christ. And we are to live and think and believe in a way that accords with this new reality in Jesus Christ. And so we must hold fast to Christ, who's the beginning of the new creation with His resurrection. Why, as if we're living in the world that is living with just a worldly way of thinking, why do we submit ourselves to decrees such as do not handle, do not touch? Man-made rules, man-made religion that is not in accord with the truth we have in Jesus Christ. Paul says these things, do not handle, do not touch, do not taste, these things are in accordance with the commandments and teachings of men. These are man's rules, not God's commands. We're great at making our own rules and expecting others to live by them. We love creating our own religion where we are doing exceedingly well according to our own standards. And we love holding others to the standard which, if we're really honest with ourselves, we don't even hold to ourselves. Paul says these rules seem to have the appearance of wisdom and self-made religion and self-abasement, but are of no value against fleshly indulgence. They're legalism. Man-made rules, man-made religion, which simply crush those who are placed under them. They have the appearance of wisdom and godliness. Oh, oh, look how godly, how how wise. But in fact, they are powerless. They are impotent against the flesh. The only power we have over the flesh is not through adding more and more rules and man-made requirements, but by holding fast to Christ, who is the substance. Hold fast to Christ by faith. There are plenty of applicable commands clearly made in Scripture, right? That Christians should obey. We don't need to be making up new commands. Do not handle. Do not taste. Do not touch. We don't need to be making up dietary laws and calendar observances. We don't need to be making up specific dress codes. Or rules about completely abstaining from alcohol. Or rules about what instruments should be played or should not be played in church. God's word speaks into each of these issues and provides us with wisdom and guidance. But we dare not go beyond what God has clearly and specifically said and add our own list of Christian do's and don'ts. We don't need to rely on any man-made spirituality. Jesus Christ has paid it all. Jesus Christ has done everything necessary to make us complete in Him. Jesus Christ indwells us. And we have become His temple. holy, blameless, beyond reproach in His eyes. There are no second-class Christians. We are all one in Christ. And Christ is one with us. Praise be to the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray together. Lord, protect us from falling into these common spiritual pitfalls. Protect us from chasing shadows instead of holding fast to the substance. Protect us from thinking we are less than other Christians or feeling robbed of our prize by them and their judgments and their harshness. Protect us, Lord, from having big heads, thinking that we've arrived or that we're pretty great on our own or that our spiritual experience is Are greater than someone else's. Protect us Lord from man-made religion. And self-imposed legalistic rules. Calling others to do not handle. Do not touch. Do not taste. Do not listen. Things which are not according to Christ. Things which are not according to the gospel. So Lord help us by faith. To hold Fast to Christ, who is our head. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.